Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from King of Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Now, most of you were at camp, faith camp, and know that it was the last one. But it wasn't the end of something, but the threshold for something new. And that God has been saying to us that the new thing is going to be greater than the old. In other words, what we're going to be living in is going to be greater than what we have been living in. And already the worship, last night, this morning, those of you who are coming back for the second year, we're beginning where we left off at the end of last term. And those of you who are new this term, you're quickly getting gathered up in the worship and you'll get gathered up in everything else that God is going to be doing. And people are constantly asking me, what is this greater thing that God is going to be doing? And I say to them, the greater thing that God will do will come out of the greater thing he does in us first. And for these last six weeks or so, God's been taking me on a journey into those greater things. In one week, we can't progress uh, where God's taken me in six weeks, but we are going to begin this journey together with the Lord, step by step. What does it mean to go into something that is greater than we have known. Well, it means going deeper into Christ, first of all. (coughs) Deeper into the things of Jesus. Drawing closer to him than we have been. Walking and living at one with him more fully than has been the case in the past. And this is what the Spirit of God is wanting to work in us first. And then we'll see what what he is going to cause to flow out of that. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's going to be a kind of watchword for what God is going to be doing in us this week and beyond. I'll read it again. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Now, we're going to learn what that really means. Remember that Jesus said to the disciples at the Last Supper, abide in me and I in you. Continue to live in me and I in you. And we need to discover how we can do that, not just occasionally remember that we're in Christ and he is in us, but how we can continue to live, live in him continuously in that close union and fellowship with him that he wants. 
So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So the process begins by being rooted and built up in Jesus. So what we need to talk about this session, what does it mean to be rooted in him? Uh, If you think of that picture that Jesus gives to the disciples at the Last Supper, that he is the vine and we are the branches, we'll be looking at that later in the week. But if you think of that, the vine has to be rooted. And if we are branches of the vine, then we are rooted in him. And so that poses the question, well, in what way is Jesus rooted? Because we have to be rooted in him, so we will be rooted in the same way that in his humanity, when he was here on earth, He was rooted. So perhaps we never think in those terms normally. But we need to understand this. Now, you're going to receive a lot of revelation. Let me tell you something that is very, very important for you to understand right at the beginning. Most people in the world, and even in most churches, want to understand something of God before they experience. And that is a tragic mistake because that limits what we experience to our understanding. What God actually does by the Spirit is lead us into the experience, into the encounter with him, and then we understand more of him once we have met with him. It's the very opposite of the way that many people function in many churches. So what God is concerned about this week is is not simply that we seek to understand with our minds, but we encounter him, that what he is going to do in these uh, various messages that we have throughout the week is to lead us to encounter him so that we are experiencing the word, and then we come to a much greater understanding of who he is and what his will for us is and how God's will can be outworked in our lives. So even if you are asked to believe what you don't understand, still believe it. You see, because God gives us his will in his word. And you might read something like this verse. Rooted and built up in him. Um, I don't understand what that means. Well, I hope you'll understand it a little bit more in a few minutes. But the first thing to do is to believe it. You don't believe an explanation of it. You believe what the word says. So as you sit on that chair, you believe you're rooted in Jesus. 
If you're a believer, if Christ Jesus is your Lord, you are already rooted in him. Now, you need to believe it, you see. (laughs) Then God will not only enable you to live in the good of what you believe, but then you will begin to understand it more and more. So I'm not here to try to explain to you things that you don't believe. You see, the, the, the important thing when you come to the Word of God is you believe what it says, whether you understand it or not. There's a lot of things in Scripture I don't understand, and I've been Christian for many, many years now. Uh, more years than most of you have been alive. But... Uh, there's still a lot of things, especially in the book of Revelation, I don't understand. Um, But I believe what is written there. I believe the last chapter. I believe that everything is going to turn out exactly as God says. And I believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And I believe that every knee will bow and every tongue will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because everybody will receive the revelation of who he really is. So, you know, there's lots we don't understand, but still how, how it's all going to work out, how God is going to do this, that, or the other, but we still believe it. So, you are rooted in Christ. Because that's what the Word says. Now, how can we understand this? Well, let's look, first of all, at God the Father. Because Jesus did not choose to come to earth. He says again and again and again, many, many times over, I I think I counted it once, if I remember rightly, I think it's 33 times he says that he was sent. Now, When you're sent, you're sent by somebody else. And the one who sends you has a purpose. So the father had a purpose in sending his son. Therefore, Jesus, when he came, had to fulfill the purpose for which he was sent. Now, in the same way, God has called us to be his children. So it's important that we know why he's called us and for what purpose he's called us so that we can fulfill our calling. And we'll come to all of that in due course. But it's the same principle. So Jesus, when he came to earth knew that he'd been sent for a particular purpose. And this is why he said, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So what can we understand about the Father's purpose in sending Jesus? Now, the scripture tells us a lot about God, about who he is, about his nature. And, of course, 
He is love. Now, we have to be careful here because he is not the human kind of emotional love. His love is of a different order. This is divine love. It's God love. It's spiritual love. We'll come to understand more of it as we go along. But it's in his love that he sent his son. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. God loved the world, and so he sent his son. So we know that Jesus was sent in love. In love for who? Because love always has to have an object. The world. Now, what, what does that mean? God so loved the world. Because the world is what we know it to be, a planet. Was it that God loved the planet? Was it that God loved the animals on the planet? Or was it specifically because he wanted to do something in mankind who he had created in his image? created to be like him. But he knew that sin had entered that creation, that man had sinned and therefore been separated from him. If you have love, you want to have relationship with those you love. Sin had made that relationship impossible. So God had created man to have relationship with him in love and for a period of time, what the opening chapters of Genesis are all about is that God walked with man. Whether you think of one man or Adam meaning mankind because uh, Adam simply means man. The, The truth that we need to get hold of is that God created man to have fellowship with man. Fellowship is the sharing of life. That's what the word means, the sharing of life. And so because he is love, He wanted to share that love with the people that he created in his own image. Now, his love is not an emotional love. It isn't that God had an emotional attachment for Adam and Eve. But it's love that gives. It's love that serves. It's love that provides. So what you see in those opening chapters of Genesis is how In the garden, God provided for Adam everything that he needed. That was the outworking of his love. In his love, he provides everything for the objects of his love, for those who he loves. Now, when sin entered the scene, immediately 
that relationship with God was broken. And Adam, of course, was trying to hide from God instead of walking with him in the garden. Because that relationship was broken, although God still loved Adam and all the mankind that he had made, he could not give to them in his love in the way in which he desired because the relationship was broken. So if you like to put it this way, God's purpose, God's desire to love and provide everything for the objects of his love was now frustrated. In the Old Testament, God makes clear to, the, to, to his people the way in which he had wanted them to live. Now, if you think of all the people in the world, that's a great number of different people, different uh, backgrounds, and so on. So he chose one nation. He said, right, I'll choose one nation. I won't even choose a big nation. I'll choose a little nation. Started off by choosing a man, Abraham, and out of that developed uh, the promise of what he would do through this nation. And his purpose was, okay, I'll take one nation and I'll show to the rest of the world what my purpose is through that nation. But of course, the relationship between God and the people of that nation was still broken. He made it clear to that nation that he loved them. And the command that he gave to them was that they were to love him, to worship him in response to his love. Now, if you just watch my, my hands for a moment, you see, if, if you take this hand to represent God and this hand to represent man, when God first created man, they were in fellowship with one another. Now, as I've explained, the sin broke that fellowship. There was now a distance, if you like, between God and man. There was a gap. So God had to speak across that gap to this nation that he set apart for himself, Israel, and explain this is how I intended you to live because I wanted to bless you. I wanted to provide for you. I wanted to give everything into your life that you could possibly need so that you could love me and be a one with me. The problem was that gap. It still existed. So although he could speak to his people Israel about his purpose, they were not one with him 
in the way that he had intended to enable them to live out that purpose. So, again and again, Israel failed to fulfill the purpose of God. They didn't love him. They didn't serve him. They didn't obey him. They kept going their own ways, sometimes even worshipped false gods. They got into all kinds of sin. God would warn them. He would raise up prophetic voices and so on. But usually they took no notice, even killed some of the prophets that God sent to them to warn them of the <clears throat> calamitous way in which they had chosen to live. So even despite their sin and despite their disobedience, God in his love still wanted to give. So we see even when they were wandering for 40 years around in the wilderness, God provided them with manna every day to eat. Their, their shoes didn't wear out. All kinds of, of miracles were happening to sustain them, even though that wandering around in the wilderness was an act of disobedience and unbelief for not entering into the promised land. Yet still, his love was such that he still wanted to give, he still wanted to provide, he still wanted to show them that he is always the same. No matter how people treat him, he never changes. He is always love. It's always his purpose to therefore to give. It's always his purpose to provide. It's always his purpose to bless the objects of his love. But all the way through the history of the Old Testament, the problem was this gap remained. Now, it wasn't that God was ignorant of the fact that that would be the case. He knew that would be the case. But what he had to demonstrate to mankind is you had chosen in the garden to go your own way. What you have to understand now is you have no way back to me. You have no way that you can ever be restored to that fellowship that you had with me through anything you could do, even even though I can tell you what my will is, what my purpose is, give you the commandments, still you are powerless in your own strength to bridge that gap. So God knew the only solution was for him to cross the gap. He himself in some form, had to come from the glory of heaven, cross that gap, and come and live among mankind. That's why he sent his son. Not that he would simply cross the gap, but that he would close the gap so that what would happen 
to mankind, or what would become possible, was not only to be restored to the perfect state in which Adam was created, but actually his love was to take man beyond where Adam was. You see, God walked with, man, with Adam on the earth, but Adam had no access to heaven. And so God, God's plan in sending Jesus was not only to restore mankind to fellowship and to unity with him, but to make it possible for them not only to walk with him here on earth, but to live in him in the glory of heaven for all eternity. So actually his purpose, you often hear Christians talk about you know, Jesus restoring uh, that relationship that Adam messed up. But no, no, God's purpose in Christ was to do far more than that. He had to do that, but he did far more than that. He made it possible for us to be where Adam had never been, in heaven. Hallelujah. Now, <clears throat> Jesus came with this intention. So he had to reveal the love of the Father, the nature of that love, so, so different from human love, altogether different. We'll, we'll talk about the qualities of, of that love later in the week. But now Jesus is showing that in his ministry that the nature of that love is to give and to bless. Uh, so what you see all the time in his, in his um, ministry is the love and the compassion that he had for people. You see, he came to this disobedient nation he came to a nation that was living so far away from his intended purpose, just like our nations are living far away from his intended purpose at present. But when he came, he came in love. And, and you see, if you love, you can't help yourself from loving. Jesus could never switch off the love. So... There was always the love. He looked at the people and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he had compassion on them because he loved them. And so he taught them. He could see that they were not living in the truth. And their religious leaders didn't understand the truth and weren't teaching them the truth. Jesus came as the truth. When Jesus came, John says in his first chapter of his gospel, grace and truth came. So Jesus demonstrated that in his love, he wanted to teach all these 
disobedient, sinful people the truth. And he said to them, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So he wanted to teach them the truth so that they would be set free. He could see what bondage they were in because of that gap that existed between God and man. So he wanted to set them completely free. Uh, He had compassion on them when he saw the way in which they suffered. So he healed the sick. He gave healing to the sick. And, of course, this made him very popular with some, not with the religious leaders because he was upstaging them, but with the people he was very popular because whenever they came, he taught them the truth which would set them free. He did things in their lives that would heal them, deliver them from demonic bondage and powers, and enable them to be blessed They understood that this man, of course, they didn't recognize him as the Messiah at first. They didn't realize that he had come from heaven. But they recognized here was someone who spoke with a different authority from all the other religious leaders, who was different from anybody else. A man of joy, no matter what was done to him, And yet at the same time, all he did was to bless and to give and to heal and to serve. They didn't recognize him as a Messiah because he didn't come uh, on a sort of a white charger with a sword in his hand and kick out all the Romans. He didn't come as a great majestic king. He came as this humble servant. And of course that was prophesied in some of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, I'm telling you stuff that you know, but you see, we've got to be rooted in the truth, haven't we? If we're going to be, if we're going to grow up into Christ and understand what it is he is wanting to do in our lives and through our lives so that we fulfill his purpose for our lives. So all Jesus was doing all the time was to give and to give and to give and to give. People were very willing to receive what he was giving. But he made it clear that his purpose was not just to bless, not just to give, not just to serve, but to make disciples. And to be a disciple means that you're like the one who is your master. So man was made in the image of God. God now crosses that gap by sending his son. So his purpose was to create a people that would be like himself, like Jesus, which was God's original purpose. I want to create mankind in my image to be like me, to live at one with me. So now he sends his son to create a people who would be like Jesus. Now, the unique thing about Jesus is as he crossed that gap, he lived on earth at one with the Father. 
He lived as Adam had lived. He was tempted in every way just as we are, but he didn't sin. One difference between Adam and Jesus is that Adam sinned and Jesus didn't. And that was going to be important uh, when he went to the cross, which we'll come to in a moment. So God's purpose was to make disciples. He wanted a people to be like himself, to be like Jesus. And what Jesus perceived, because he could understand the hearts of all the people, he knew what was in everyone, the scripture says. He could read their hearts. He doesn't look on the outward appearance, but on the heart. So he knew what was in the heart. And he knew that a lot of the people that came to him for healing and blessing did not really want to be like him. They didn't really want to become disciples. So from all this mass of people, he chooses certain people to be disciples. The 12, the 72 he sent out. We know that he appeared to 500 in his resurrection body. So we know that there were at least 500 disciples. What marked out those disciples from the rest of the people who were being blessed is the disciples wanted to be like Jesus. They wanted the will of God in their lives. Now, that was going to mean that Jesus would have to take those disciples through a whole process. Their lives would need to be transformed from ceasing to be sinners into those who reflected the life and the love and the power of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus knew this was the Father's purpose. The interesting thing that we see in his ministry is that Jesus did not even choose his own disciples. They were chosen for him by the Father. It was as if what God was doing was from all these people that were being blessed, multitudes were being blessed by the teaching, by the truth, by the miracles that he was performing. But from that mass of people, God chose those who he was going to make like Jesus. They were called by name. And that's fulfilling what was written in the Old Testament. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Now, we've just seen that when Jesus came, the nature of that love was to give and to give and to give. The people wanted to receive and receive and receive. But those that were going to be like him were going to be those that would give and give and give. 
In other words, they were going to receive, surely, but they were not just going to be received. They, they, their purpose was not just to be blessed, but to become people like Jesus that would give and give and give. And so Jesus taught these disciples this principle, the measure you give is the measure you get back. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. So these disciples were going to be blessed in a way that the multitude of people would not be blessed. Because all they wanted to do was to receive and not to give. So Jesus was making it clear to these disciples that he was raising up that the secret of their discipleship was to give themselves entirely and wholeheartedly, completely to him. And that in the giving of themselves to him, they would receive abundantly of his life, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They wouldn't just be blessed because they were being taught, listening to a sermon by Jesus Christ, or simply receiving a healing, but they would become a group of people that would actually be part of this ministry of Jesus Christ in the world. In other words, if you, if you just think of this, this gap again, Jesus came across the gap. His ministry was going to last for three and a half years or so, and then he was going to return to heaven But he had to leave a people behind that were like that. Jesus had been like that with the Father while he was on earth. So by the time he returned to heaven, God would need a whole people that were like that. The whole nation wouldn't be in that kind of relationship. Even the religious leaders, for the most part, weren't going to be in that kind of relationship. But those who were disciples would be in that kind of relationship and therefore would continue this love of God in the world to give and to give and to give. And just as Jesus gave even to those that weren't thankful, even to those that didn't become disciples, so these disciples would learn to give and to bless and to serve, irrespective of what came back to them, just like Jesus did. In other words, they were to be a group of people who would lay down their lives for others. They weren't, they weren't in a relationship with God simply to be blessed, but to fulfill his, what had always been his divine purpose, to have a people who would express his love, who would give and love and serve, who would bless and heal, set people free, teach the truth, do everything that he was doing. 
And when Jesus was talking to the disciples at the Last Supper, he called that being fruitful. The branches in the vine bearing fruit. That that fruit was not for them, not for themselves. It was for all those that would benefit from the fruit that was produced through their lives. That they were willing to give of themselves that others might receive of the love of God. And of course, their purpose therefore was to make other disciples. Just as with Jesus, many got blessed but only some became disciples. So even with the disciples, they would bless many but only some of those they blessed would become other disciples. And Jesus taught the parable of of the sower to explain that, that you know, some of the seed would fall upon the path and be rejected. Some people would only respond very superficially, like the seed that falls upon the rocky ground. Some would apparently uh, respond, and, but you know, really they were so worldly that the things of this world choked the life of the kingdom that God had sown into their lives. But then there was the good soil. And you see, the good soil were the disciples, were the new disciples the disciples that were made by the disciples. And they produced fruit 30 times, 60 times, 100 times that which was sown. So what we understand from all of this is how God in his relationship with us always wants to give, always wants to provide, always wants to bless. That's the nature of his love. Every day of our lives, his purpose is to give and to bless, to serve, to heal, to provide, whatever is necessary. And therefore, to make a people who reflect that love, who love with his love. Impossible, because of that gap, unless something else happened. You see, Jesus crossed the gap, but then when he went to heaven, God crossed the gap again by sending his Holy Spirit. So if you like, the first gift was Jesus. The second gift was the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ. So the Spirit of Christ crosses that gap, comes and lives in those disciples, and immediately they start to give in a way that was beyond what they were able to do while they were with Jesus, which is why Jesus said, greater things are going to happen. You need to rejoice that I'm returning to heaven because then God is going to do something more. God will not only be with you as I've been with you, but God will be in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Some of you wonder why some people are going out. It's because they have to go and do the, uh, look after the young children in the, in the church. We have a, a meeting there. Of many, many mums and kids and so on. So it's not that they are disagreeing with the word. <laughs> 
because anybody who disagrees with the word gets shot the following morning. <laughs> so that's a simple way of dealing with that. But they won't be shot because they're, they're actually going out to give and to bless and to serve. So they're a demonstration of, of, what's go- of what I'm preaching. Now, the Holy Spirit crossed that gap. So God didn't leave the disciples. He came and indwelt the disciples. And the reason for him living in them by the power of the Spirit is so that they would bless and give and serve and so on, just like Jesus, because it is the Spirit of the risen, glorified Christ who came to live in them. So now... God has done it. God has done whatever is necessary, whatever was necessary, to enable him to have a people on earth that could be like Jesus, walk as Jesus did, and do the same things as him. These are the people in whom he lives by the power of his spirit. Now, there was just one problem. That in choosing people to be disciples, God was not going to force them to become what he wanted them to be. Because that would not be love. And they could not have a relationship of love with him if they were forced into obedience or submission to him. So it had to be a response of love that would enable them to have that relationship of love with the God who is love. The problem was that in their natural lives, People love themselves and want to please themselves. And Jesus made it clear that anyone who was to be a disciple of his would have to deny himself, take up his cross and follow Jesus. In other words, just as Jesus said, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So these people that he was calling and making disciples would have to say, I do not live to fulfill my will, but the will of him who called me. So that meant that even though the Spirit of God came and indwelt these people that were left as the disciples of Jesus, there was going to be a conflict going on in their lives between what they wanted and what God wanted. Now, that conflict even existed in Jesus because he was human. And we see that conflict in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. 
Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The thing about Jesus is that he never raised his will above the will of his Father. But he always submitted his will to the will of his Father. Now, you need to understand that. Jesus, every day of his life, every day of his life, all day, every day of his life, had to submit his will to the will of the Father. He did not automatically walk in obedience. There was nothing automatic about it. He was human, like you are. He had a mind of his own, a will of his own. He had to keep his mind fixed upon what his father wanted. He had to keep his will submitted to the will of the father. All day, every day of his life. So in calling a group of people to be disciples who would live with him in glory for all eternity... They would be a people who, like him, every day of their lives would need to submit their wills to the will of God, to the will of the Father, to the will of Jesus. Now, what you find happens in experience is that most Christians submit to God in some ways, but are willful and please themselves in other ways. So what you've got is mixture. Now, I'll give you an example of that. You. You are mixture. Now, we may be at different places, different points in this process of becoming more like Jesus in this way. In other words, some may be more submitted to his will than others, but none of us is yet perfectly submitted to his will. Because if we were, we'd be like Jesus and we would never sin. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because although this is what God has made possible, that we always fulfill his will, this is not experientially what we do. So, there's a process through which God takes the disciple and the main reason why you're here as a student or even as a team member is so that God can further that process in your life. In other words, by the middle of December, when the term ends, you will be much more like Jesus than you are now. That won't be through what you've done, but through what he's done in you. But... What it's going to involve is you submitting to him increasingly. More and more you will surrender your will to his will. And the more you do that, the more like Jesus become, the happier you become, the freer you become. 
the more lovely you become in the eyes of God, the more you please him, the more fruitful you will be, the more meaning and significance your life will have. And it would be terrible, wouldn't it, to die, come to the end of your life, and to have missed the purpose for which God created you. So, how much is God doing in your life at present? I can answer that very simply. As much as you want him to. As much as you are submitted to him, what does he want to do? To give, to bless, to provide? Nothing can ever separate you from that love. How much of that are you actually able to receive and process depends upon what you give. So Jesus teaches the measure you give is the measure you get back. So what is at stake? Control. Who is going to be in control in your life? You or Jesus? What you have to understand is that he will not take control until you give him control. Now, he doesn't take control in the the sense that he makes you a robot and you just automatically do what he wants. Jesus didn't live like that. Jesus lived in a relationship of love with the Father. But Jesus, this is the Son of God who performed all those miracles. Jesus said, I can do nothing myself. Why? Because he knew that if he did anything independently of his Father, the gap would open between the Father and the Son, and the whole purpose of him being sent would be destroyed, and there'd be no salvation for anyone. So Jesus had to keep that gap as if it didn't exist during his time on earth by being completely obedient and at one with his Father. If he didn't do that, it wouldn't be possible for us to cross that gap. But now, for us, the gap no longer exists. Jesus has destroyed the gap. And and when God caused you to be born again, when you became a Christian, when you became a child of God, you were restored to fellowship with him. Now, that means, you see, that his purpose is for you to live like this. But sin is like that. And so if we sin, we have to confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, so we become like that again. So the, the, sort of the, the lives we live in experience, are rather like that. (laughs) 
And sometimes if you get into some serious sin, it can be like that. And then, you know, people backslide and they need to come back to the Lord and be made one with him. Some of you might have gone through that experience. So what's God's purpose? Well, cut out the sin. What, 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 is, what is the essence of sin? Pleasing self rather than him. Doing what does not please him. Doing what grieves him. You can't have fellowship and unity with someone that you're grieving, that you're disobeying. You know, even in human relationships, there's a breakdown of relationship when there isn't that trust and isn't that love and isn't that unity. Okay, you have to work through issues to restore that relationship. And it's rather like that with Jesus. Sometimes we have to work through, he has to work through issues in our lives to bring us back to the place of unity that he wants us to be in. What we're going to see is the amazing way in which God keeps us living in Christ, even in our weakness, even sometimes in our sinfulness. But we'll save that for another session. There's no time to get into all that now. Ultimately, all that we're talking about this morning is a matter of the heart. Let's just finish by going back to this verse, these verses we started with. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. This is the amazing truth that when God reconciled us to himself, when we, when we became forgiven, when we were made totally acceptable in his sight because we were forgiven of all of our sins, he put us into Christ that we might live in him. He even put us into Christ when, when Jesus went to the cross, but I'll explain that uh, to you l later on. But we continue to live in him. This is, this is what Paul is saying. God put you into Christ. Now you have to continue to live in him. So when Jesus talked to the disciples at the Last Supper, he said, abide in me, continue to live in me, rest in me, remain in me. And I will continue to live in you. I will rest in you. I will remain in you. So this is the amazing truth. You see, in the Old Testament, while that gap existed, God could tell the people what to do, but they weren't empowered to do it. Now that Christ has come, and now the Holy Spirit has come and lives within us, God has empowered us. God has equipped us. God has enabled us to fulfill his will. And what is his will? That we love him. 
and we love others as he loves us. It's all encapsulated in that love. But John points out in his first letter, we can only love because he first loved us. So that's why this is a very simple, basic message this morning, but we need not just to know this love, but you see, you need to test your heart this morning. Am I living in that love? Am I responding to that love? Am I loving others as Christ has loved me? You are to love one another as I have loved you. That's his command. See, the, the question is, are you doing that? Not do you know it, or do you know it to be the will of God, but is this, is, is, is this what is happening in your life? Is this, is this your motivation? Is this the desire of your heart? Is this what you're hungering to see outworked in your life? Oh, Lord, I want to love others as you have loved me. I, I, want, I want to be like Jesus because you've called me, you've set me apart, you've chosen me to be a disciple, to be like Jesus. And, and Jesus just loved and he gave and he blessed and he served. But he didn't do it out of any ulterior motive. Because the only way he was going to be thanked was to be put on a cross. So it's not that, okay, we'll bless someone so long as we get blessed back. Or we love someone so long as they love us back. That's how the world operates. But it's not how we operate. We will love, we will bless, no matter what happens. People may reject us. People might malign us, say all kinds of evil things about us, but still we will love, still we will bless, still we will be merciful, still we will forgive, because that's Jesus. So you are rooted in him. Now if you're rooted in him, you're rooted in love. You're rooted in his love. The plant draws its life from the root. So there won't be that love in your life unless you're rooted in that love. And if we're rooted in that love, then God will ensure that there's the fruitfulness. So where did we start? Believing God's word. Continue to live in him, rooted, established in God's love. So how are we to pray in response to this? We can't pray, Lord, root me in your love. 
Because God will say, I can't do that because I've already done it. It's for you to believe I've done it. Don't look at your experience. Look at the word of God. Because you see, experience will follow the faith. You believe, then you experience, then you understand. You understand more fully. You, because you see the outworking of it. So believe, I am rooted in God's love. Why? Because this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus called me. This is why God has chosen me. This is why I'm here at Rafi. Because I'm rooted in his love. And this love I'm rooted in is not human love. It's not my natural love. It's not me trying to be more loving. It's his love in me. Enabling me to love those that I wouldn't choose to love. Enabling me to love in ways that naturally would be impossible for me to love. Being willing to love, no matter who God gives me to love, or in what way he asks me to love them. Being prepared to lay down my life to love others. Now, this is the basic call upon a Christian's life. This is not an advanced call for advanced disciples. This is God's call upon every Christian. It's just that here we take his call seriously. And here we want to live as disciples. Here we want to grow in our discipleship to become more and more like Jesus. So Immediately, the word of God confronts us with our selfishness. Selfishness is part of your natural life, not of your God life. You see, Jesus had his human nature, but he had his God nature. When you were born, you only had a human nature. You didn't have a God nature. But now the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have a God nature. But you still have a human nature, as Jesus had. And it's always a question of, okay, out of which nature am I functioning at this moment? Out of my human nature or out of my God nature? See, the more like Christ we become, the more we function out of our God nature, Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us. And so, the human nature, what I want, has to give way to what he wants. And we discover that what he wants isn't always convenient. It isn't always what we would choose, but it's what he chooses. But, because of his love for us, he always wants the best for us. And he knows that our best is not ever to be found in doing what we want. The best is always to be found in doing what he wants. There's, there's 
so much more joy, there's much greater happiness, there's much greater fulfillment in doing what he wants than in resisting his will and doing what you want. So there's a very simple message to begin our week. So how do we, how do we respond to this? Well, I can't respond for you. See, my responsibility is to say to you what God is wanting to say. I, I'm just his mouthpiece. But God doesn't hold me responsible for how you respond. That's the responsibility of each person here. So we believe, yeah, I'm rooted in Christ. I'm rooted in the love of Christ. That's why he's planted me. In the one who is love. Now, he asks of me to surrender to that love. So that love will be the essence of my life. Let's all stand and come into the middle. We're going to pray together. See, I said at the beginning, God's been taking me through a process. And what I've had to work through is, is ways in which I was pleasing myself rather than God. So that I could come to a place where I would be living more deeply in the love of God. Drawing from that root of love. And I've been at this business for, well, I've been a Christian for over 60 years, 70 years, nearly 70 years now. So, you know, you, you never come to the end of this process. So just close your eyes now. Know that Jesus is here. He's always here. He's always with you. He's never absent. He never goes AWOL. He's always there. But sometimes we're conscious of his presence. So right now you can be conscious of his presence. So first of all, thank Jesus that he crossed the gap for you. He came across that gap. He came from heaven for you. Now you might say, well, he came for a lot of other people too. Yeah, well, that's true. But he came for you. And the scripture is very clear that before the creation of the world, God chose you. So he came for all mankind, but he came particularly for those who God had chosen to be those people who would become like him in the world. He knew not everybody would. But until Jesus comes again, he's going to have a witness of those who are seeking to live like him. So he came for you. Thank him. Thank you, Lord. You came across that gap. 
You left the glory of heaven. You left your throne. You emptied yourself of the glory and you came and accepted the weakness of humanity for me. Thank you that I was in your heart when you sent Jesus. I was in your mind. I was, I was part of the plan that you were going to outwork in creation. Thank you that he came to rescue me. To rescue me from the darkness of the world and to bring me into the light of your kingdom. So thank him that he's taken hold of your life and he's rooted you in Christ Jesus. He's not just placed you in him, he's rooted you in him. So the root of your life now is not just your human life, your human power, your human will, but the root of your life is the divine love and life of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says the secret is this, Christ in you, because you're rooted in him. So thank him. You may not understand it all, don't worry about that, but just thank him, because it's true whether you understand it or not. Things don't become true when you understand them. They were true before you understood them. So just thank him now. Thank you, Lord, I'm rooted in you. <coughs> Hallelujah. Praise him for that. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. And because I'm rooted in you, you're going to build me up in you. Thank you, that building up process is going to be taking place all this week. Praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord, I'm rooted in you. Hallelujah. Now, just for a moment, I don't want you to search your own life or analyze yourself or anything like that, but you will be conscious of the fact that there's many things in your life that are not like Jesus. Some things perhaps you realize don't really please Jesus. Attitudes you have, way you think, desires, whatever. Some of the things you do. Those things come from your human nature, not from your divine nature. That nature of Christ, that nature, that new nature of the Holy Spirit in you because you're rooted in Christ. Now, you can simply say to the Lord at this moment, I mean, he's going to deal with these issues more thoroughly than at this moment, but at least we can begin the process. You can say, Lord, I don't want things in my life that are going to grieve you rather than please you. I don't want things that are opposing your will instead of being the outworking of your will. So please forgive me for those things. 
Do whatever you need to do in me so that my love for you will be greater than that love for self. So instead of pride and selfishness, I will become more and more like Jesus and walk as he did. <coughs> Hallelujah. Now what you can do, as far as you are able to understand at this moment, is surrender to him. Because that's what it is. It's surrender. I surrender my heart, my life to you, Lord Jesus, because my desire is to live as your disciple, to become more like you, to walk as you did, to express your love so that I give and bless and serve and provide for others just as you bless, provide for me. Can you pray that? Can you say that to God from your heart? I want to become more and more like Jesus. Because I'm rooted in him, I want to be built up in him, continue to live in him, and be strengthened in my faith through the word of God. Are things happening in your heart? You might sense a conflict already. Can I really dare to say this to God? Is he going to take me at my word? What's it going to mean? It's going to mean greater blessing than you could ever imagine. God will do far more than you could ask or imagine according to his power that will be at work within you. That's what it's going to mean. You're going to have a great life, much greater than you could ever have planned for yourself. So is some surrender happening at this moment? Come on, let's just lift our hands in surrender. Let's That's the attitude of surrender, isn't it? If you surrender to someone, you lift your hands to them. Well, let's lift our hands to Jesus. We lift our hands to praise him, but we lift our hands in surrender to him. Now, instead of just lifting your hands, extend them to the side like that. Now you're in the place of crucifixion. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He was saying, I no longer live for myself, 
But now my new nature is Christ in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me, and now I give myself for him. My body is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So with your hands in that position, can you say, Lord, I thank you that when you died, I died with you, died to living for myself, that now I can be a new creation, someone who lives for you, who lives for your glory, who lives to fulfill your divine purpose in my life. And I bless you and I praise you and I thank you, Lord. Let's just praise him. Kora sandaria leto papapara sandaria. Basta kalaria leto papapakala sidri sandaria. Basta kalaria leto papapara sandaria leto papapara sandaria. Basta kalaria leto papapara sandaria leto papapara sidri sandaria. Basta kalaria leto papapara leto papakala sidri sandaria. Basta galaria leto papapara sandaria leto papapara sina. Papapara sandaria leto papapakala sidri santa. Brondaria leto papapara sandaria leto papapakala sina. O papapara sandaria leto papapakala sidri santa. O papapara sandaria leto papapakala sina. Hallelujah. Now, what that act of surrender means is that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Jesus Christ is only truly Lord in the lives of those who have surrendered to him. So let's just proclaim that now. Just turn to at least four other people and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I belong to him. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.